Hey everybody, Jim Kerr here. Really excited about this special edition of the Indispensable Conversation. I've got my buddy Jim Hotelling with me. Uh, we are going to tackle the question, how do you summon the courage to lead when lives are on the line? Uh, Jim is a, he's the head of leadership and development at N2 Growth. He's got all kinds of military experience. In fact, it's his 20 plus years of US Special Forces experience that makes him the perfect guest uh, for this uh, episode. With, with all the stuff going on in Ukraine right now uh, and, and it being top of mind, I feel like this question is an essential one to, to tackle and get out on the table. Jim, welcome aboard, my friend. How you doing? Hey, Jim, good morning to you. Happy Friday and uh, really happy to be here. I, I couldn't agree more. I think it's a great, relevant topic, and we're certainly going to unpack that sucker here in a little bit. So, yeah, well, look, <laughs> it, it's great to have you. Jim and I go back a while. We've been friends for, for quite, a, quite a long time now. Um, so, Jim, I, I just want to jump into the first question. How do you summon the courage to lead when lives are on the line? You know, Jim, it's kind of funny. It's like, you can't you can't answer that question just straight away. But in the way when when I looked at it, when you said you were going to ask this question to me, the realities were, you know, like I was like, I see it in three things. I see courage and how we've got to talk about what, what is courage, because I, I, I have a very pointed view about courage. And then the big elephant in the room leading. Right. Yeah. And then lives on the line. Is that like literally lives on the line? We can talk about that when, you know, especially like in the military context or law enforcement context, those kind of things. But if you think about it from a business point of view, almost every one of your employees, their lives are on the line because it's their livelihoods that we're right. talking about. Right. So, yeah, I'd like to talk about all three, to be honest with you. Well, you know, you bring up sort of all the elements of the question, right? The ability to act in spite of fear and overwhelming opposition is definitely part of the question, right? Mm -hmm. And it's it's almost like our ability to act in spite of hardship, despair, um, sometimes imminent, you know, personal physical danger. Yeah. You know, th th that's yes. to me like another level of leadership. It's another level of courage. And yeah. certainly, you know, Zelensky's a living example of that at the moment, we can point to that and talk about yeah. that, I suppose, all day. But, yeah. but man, I'd, I'd love to hear some of, some yeah. of, you know, what you're thinking about that, having lived the life that you've lived. For sure. I, you know, I think when we talk about courage, you already mentioned the, the real root of the word is, is fear. And, and I think we all need to accept that fear is a part of the process. And if you can accept that fear is a part of the process, then you can start to find that pathway to gain courage. So my personal beliefs is really you're not born with courage. No one's born with saying, I'm going to be a courageous person and, and really live it out. It's a way of being. And it's a part of if you think about it from almost a resiliency mindset, that that way of being, that's how you attack fear. And when you can learn to deal with fear then you move closer to understanding what courage is. And I think that's what everybody's got to wrap their minds around. Yeah, I mean, you know, and as you know, you've worked with me on some of this in the past, you know, the, the whole concept of resilience and resilience training and, you know, body, mind, soul, you know, that all of that is part of, of what we both 
do when we work with, yeah. with clients on, on that topic. But, you know, as a leadership development guy, you know, you're, 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 I think you're suggesting courage can be taught. I'm not so sure. You know, like I, I think about a quote from Patton, General Patton, you know, he said that courage is fear holding on one minute longer, you know, that, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. But, but I think there is a difference uh, somewhere deep down inside that, that um, separates people who are more courageous than others. I, I, I think it can be inspired. You know, I think we can inspire courage. I think we can show a vision. We can make it, you know, some sort of commitment to something larger than ourselves, you know, but I don't know if it can be taught per se. I don't, what do you think? I think it can. And this is why, because where you see that it uh, fails most of the time, where there's people that avoid courage, that, that fall to fear is because they've never been around understanding what right looks like in being able to overcome fear and be a courageous leader. And so it's not necessarily like, oh, you were just born with this instinct and they weren't. They were just a never around, they were never around the scenario that allowed them to understand that fear can become overcome. And so that's why I like saying it's a way of being because most people, when they process the primal part of fear, and you can do this from a business context, mm -hmm. right? People are fearful of stepping out and, and, and doing something new or fearful that they could get fired or fearful that they'll have a bad assessment or, uh, you know, uh, a yearly assessment on them, all those kind of things that fear paralyzes people. But when you get them to be ultra aware of, OK, this is a fearful thing. How do I overcome it? All of that stuff. That is when you can start to garner the courage to do certain things. Courage is about the action. Right. Courage is the act of doing of overcoming fear. And so I believe as long as you can start to talk about it and expose it to people, they become more aware of it. And then they know how to adjust within kind of that operating environment. And that's why I kind of like to use resiliency a lot, too, because the fact is a lot of how you identify fear and how you overcome it are close to the same kind of mindfulness and body, mind, soul techniques that resiliency uses. Mm hmm. Yeah, no, I, I hear you, but I, I feel like there's still something deep down inside some people. I, and I, I, I it sounds to me like, yes, modeling it is an essential part of showing what good looks like and and all that. But at the end of the day, you got to look around and say, can I count on these people with me? And that's in a business setting or, or in a life and death situation, right? When you're part of a special forces team or what have you, you know, it's, it's that ability not only sort of the faith in yourself, but also the faith that others are going to do their job and that kind yeah, of stuff. Exactly correct. And and one of the things when I talk about courage and leadership uh, in my leadership development or coaching, it, it is about being around other believers. It's about yeah. having that community. So why you see fearless, courageous special operations team go into, you know, overcome insurmountable odds and all that stuff is because they have faith in the team around them, right? You know, it is it is the sum of all. And it's the same thing in a business environment. Unless you have this culture and you're a culture guy, you know, unless you build that culture where you have this community of of embracing fear and, and encouraging and rewarding um, courage, then you will have people that just flounder and fail. And so it is very much about the community mindset. 
that yeah. culture mindset on how you attack fear, which is the root cause of courage being positive or negative. And, and the vision for what the mission's yeah. about, right? Exactly. I mean, it's like being able to, to get it so well-defined and determined that everybody understands it, buys into it, sees the value of, of achieving it, and wants to do everything that they can to to get there, to, to achieve that vision. 100%. So funny you say that um, because one of the techniques that, you know, we teach in overcoming fear or being a fearless leader, being a courageous leader, mm -hmm. is working on your vision stories, right? It is about envisioning those kind of things. And all of those kind of mindsets and envisioning is very part. And it's, it's interesting because it's tied to kind of those five practices of leadership that have been internal forever. And it's what Zelensky's practicing right now. And, yeah. uh, you know, I can even go through the, like, Zelensky literally is going through those five practices, almost checklist style. He's doing it naturally and as a good leader. Uh, but it's very interesting to see when he hits all those points, you then start to realize that that is what courageous leadership looks like. Yeah. I mean, one of the uh, really kind of stunning images I've seen recently, I think it was yesterday, in fact, was, you know, there's a there's a picture of Z Zelensky with his team. They're in a bunker someplace. They're at a makeshift table. There's food on the table. They're yep. all sitting around. Yep. And then beneath it is a picture of, you know, the Russian leader sitting at the end of a very long table. And his yes. team is at the other end of the very long table and they're all together and he's, he's separated physically and that's looks right. like, you know, probably emotionally. Absolutely. And you think about it, right? That's the first point of the, you know, the five practices of leadership modeled right. away. Right. Right. And that's exactly what he's doing. He's doing the fundamentals of modeled away. What's really interesting. I, I got in a discussion about that same, that same picture that you saw with somebody that I was coaching. And I was like, it's very interesting that he hits at different points, but take away the very subtle things that he's doing. He's not only just, you know, operating out on the front lines and he's wearing, you know, just a t-shirt instead of a suit now, a helmet instead of a hat, all of those kind of things. But that picture to me was more powerful because he was sitting down, his eyes were on the eyes of, of, of low ranking soldier and they were breaking bread together. They were having coffee. They were, they were eating the bread and it's those kind of things that is the true modeling of the way you, you go from act from just talking about it to real action to doing and it. It's amazing to watch. Well, let, let's play around a little bit with that. I, you know, I'm a big believer in sort of the best leaders have command of several different leadership styles and the very best leaders are the ones that are aware enough to understand which style they should use given a situation. Yeah. So, so when lives are on the line, what do you think are the predominant sort of leadership styles that need to be top of mind for someone that's, that's leading the way? Yeah. I, you know, I, I, this model, the way is an important thing, right? Like things need to be instinctive at the point of action. So when it is time to take action, when it is time to do, right, um, that is when you have to model the very things that you have practiced or rehearsed or discussed or talked about time and time again from the past. Your past catches up to you at the time of action. 
right? So you've got to be the type of person that you want to model when the action happens. And you have to know how to do that. And that comes a lot about the processes and the skill setting and all of those kind of things. Again, it's interrelated, whether it's in battle or whether it's in the boardroom. These kind of things all relate to the same. But at the at the point of action, you've got to model that way. And that's the most important thing to do. That set a consistency on being who you really say you're going to be, knowing how to do that, and then doing. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree with you, Jim. And, and you know, through our work together, that I'm a big proponent of all that stuff, kind of starting with visioning, right? And being able to tell that story and get everybody engaged and 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 ready to sort of conquer the hill, if you will. Um, so that's, you know, if you think about it, that's that's the, another point of these these five fundamental leadership points is inspire that shared vision. Right. So if inspiring the shared vision, if you if you look at what Zelensky's doing in that, it's kind of like he keeps talking about a free Ukraine. He mm -hmm. keeps talking about it's a sovereign country. All of these things, the vision of what Ukraine has has gone through for the last 30 years, he talks about their their journey and he's constantly reminding right. people we are a free country. Right. You know, all of those kind of things. He's creating that shared vision right. that's out there. No, I, and, and I note that, too, and I love it. You know, I, uh, there's just so many things that this guy is doing that is, you know, uh, serves as a, a wonderful example for all of us in the leadership yeah. game and, and trying to help people become their, you know, their best, uh, their best selves. Yeah, you bet. But, you know, I want to get back to, to the point you were making about preparedness and I'm putting words in your mouth and you say the word preparedness, but that's really what you were talking about. And, yeah. you know, the Neil Armstrong quote kind of comes to mind, you know, when he, after he walked on the moon, he just said it was just like a drill, you know, yeah, it, it went the way we planned it, you know, that kind of thing. It was yep. he they had rehearsed it over and over and over again to the point when it happened, it was natural because everybody yeah. knew what their role was and it was a team effort and it was executed obviously superbly. And and I think that's what you were saying a little bit uh, ago was that that whole idea of you know you're drilling, you're practicing, you're understanding what, what has to happen. So when an, it's game time. Everybody's doing yeah. their thing. There, there is absolutely no doubt that, um, and it goes back to understanding fear, right? It, it's natural for everybody to possess fear, but it's what do you do with it, right? It's how you overcome it. And it's this constant drilling and all of those kind of things. And if you look, uh, you know, like at special operation forces, they tend to have some of the lowest levels of post-traumatic stress because they know exactly what they're about to go into. They spend their entire time training for very horrific events to happen. And when those horrific events happen, which are normally PTS kind of triggers, they, they are so well versed in it that it lowers the PTS um, more than, if you look at like in the Iraq, the original Iraq invasion in 2003, some of the people in the Department of Defense that have the highest levels of post-traumatic stress were like um, the truck drivers, the the cooks, the, the, drone, uh, drone the operators, folks, right? The folks that never prepared day to day to day for the horrific environment that they were suddenly exposed to, right? They ended up becoming the heroes because of what they had to do, 
but because of how violent it was and they weren't rehearsing it over and over and over again, you can see that those are the type of folks that had much higher levels of post-traumatic stress because it wasn't geared into their head. So rehearsing is an absolute must for, again, from the battlefield to the boardroom. Yeah. I mean, it, it, and it's utter chaos, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And being able to maintain your composure and, and sort of the wits, keep your wits about yourself in the middle of all that is quite a feat. right? Most, most people that do practice, you know, this mindfulness and, and learn to understand stress and or fear, um, what normally happens is the more that you are rehearsed into this, the more that you actually become calmer and right. clearer in stress. What we find when we do leadership assessments on executives is we, we one of the things that we assess for is their ability to handle stress. Mm -hmm. Because in stressful situations, most human beings will do one of two things. They will either become fogged over and kind of cower and hide in that stressful situation and really overreact. Or... Uh, people that are prepared for it and geared towards it will actually become clearer mm -hmm. and almost rise above stress and become calmer and more focused. Mm -hmm. So those are very important things. And you could replace stress with fear. Um, those are very common things to go after uh, and, and start educating yourself about these things. Work on your self-awareness. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, the kind of work that I do, I always joke that it's sort of you know you're parachuting into a into a mess you know people aren't hiring management consultants if everything's going well they're, they're hiring them because there's some there's a problem and you don't have a lot of time there's an expectation that you're going to be able to get in there and figure it out yep. and and it's it's and it is about preparedness is when i walk into a new gig and again i'm not trying to compare consulting to war but <laughs> yeah i get it yeah <laughs> but, uh, but you know it, it is one of those things where you kind of say okay and i and you're right everything kind of slows down for me and it becomes really clear and i start mm -hmm. to figure out like who who can i work with what's my team going to look like what are we trying to accomplish how are we going to accomplish it you know what are the, the steps we have to take to be effective almost immediately? And, and, yeah. and I think it's the same kind of thing that you're describing, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I would say, you know, what uh, another one of those five keys that we'll, we can direct to, the, to Zelensky and to you on this is you challenge the process. But the only way that you can challenge a process is if you're clear thinking. Right. Because right. You, you don't even know what you're challenging at that point. Right. You don't even know what you're, you're thinking about. But if you do all these pre-rehearsed things in your head and you parachute in to a chaotic situation, you've got to be able to challenge the process. But you have to be able to think clearly about it. And you look at Zelensky um, is a great example about challenging the process on this one. I was chuckling the other day when he made the phone call, when he did the, the conference call into the EU and yeah. he basically said, uh, throw out all your rules about accepting countries into the EU, and I want you to accept Ukraine into the EU right now. Why have a two-year bureaucratic right. process? Let's just do it right now. You can see what's going on. And right. it's those kind of things. He's thinking clearly. It's very chaotic where he's at, 
but he challenges the process still. Right. And I think right. that's a, it's a huge thing, a subset of what we're kind of talking about. Well, let's play around with that, Jim, because I'm interested to kind of hear your take on how does a leader ensure appropriate action during really trying times? And that's kind of the, the, so the Zelensky story that you're sharing was he was aware enough to say, here's another part of the vision is to be part of the EU, <laughs> you know, That's right. and this is what I'm articulating to my people. And this is what I'm kind of promising. And this is what they're buying into and want to have, yeah. want to be able to achieve with me. And then he's working it, you know, right. he's working the agenda, if you will, while there's bombs flying over. His head. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> so talk a little bit about that. How, how do leaders ensure appropriate action? Yeah, I, you know, so this one, I will speak with forked tongue a little bit because I see it happening two ways. In Zelensky's case, he's kind of the bull in the China shop. He is someone who knows the right ways to do these, these things and the right environments to do it. And he's kind of forcing good leadership practice towards that way. The second way that it really happens, and it happens... Um, in high-performing organizations, and this is the truest sense when you know you have a high-performing organization, is high trust. Because a leader should always be pushing, and those that are following should have the absolute ability to speak freely and challenge the leader's assumptions on things. Right. And you really only get that in high-performing organizations. High-performing organizations are the center point of it is high trust, right? So leaders should be able to push hard on known assumptions, if there's high trust, because because you you know you're going to get the right feedback, you're going to be able to do that. It's just like fighter pilots in the military. Fighter pilots spend twice as much time debriefing the flight than the actual flight time. Why is that? Because they have this high trust ability to say, hey, when you were doing this and you were doing that, you were wrong. And this is why. And you learn from it. Iron sharpens iron. And when you have those kind of environments, that's when you're successful. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and you know this about me. I'm not sure that the audience does, but many years ago, I had the opportunity to do a fair amount of work with DOD and then ultimately the Marine Corps. Yeah. And it was all on strategy and, and kind of shifting the culture and stuff. Um, and we talked about that over a, a bourbon, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> some years ago. Yeah. But, but, well, well, What's interesting about all that stuff was my time there, and it came in a very kind of early, I was 20 years younger, you know what I mean? So it was a really good time for a young consultant to have had that opportunity to, to, to work with these guys. But, you know, leading courageously is not about being tougher than the next guy or yeah. being immune to feeling afraid or any kind of like, you know, uh, being overly confident you know, it, right. it, it, it's something, it's something else. And you could feel it, you know, with these guys as, as I was working with them, you know, and it, and it was sort of that self-assuredness for sure. But you also felt like they were highly trained and were really at the top of their game, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, if you're leading a team that's that highly effective, your job's a lot easier. With, with, without a doubt. You know, but it's it's getting people to that level of proficiency that's the challenge. Yeah, you look at the Zelensky 
uh, examples again. Um, you know, the uh, a fourth point that we talk about in you know these five points of just fundamental leadership is enabling others to act. And that's what we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. And you only enable others to act and succeed when you have high respect, high trust, and all that stuff. And mm -hmm. you can get that through, like you know, when the in the boardroom scenarios, it's like recognition and reward and all of that, because, you know, it creates that that buoyancy that they want in order for them to act at a greater thing. But like what Zelensky's doing is he is he has created such of the fundamentals that he is he's encouraging everybody around him to do what he does. And then it just becomes infectious. Right. Like he just everybody wants to be what the example of him and he's doing it in these subtle ways to allow others to do these kind of things. And um, it's working. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I mean, part, part of that, or let's say the flip of the, of the coin in, in that it, as a leader who's on the front lines, who's trying to drive, uh, you know, a team through a life and death type situation. There's some element that I think you have to confront around being able to not fear disapproval yeah. or conflict yeah. with formal authorities that might be sitting back, you know, <laughs> a, a thousand miles away from the skirmish, trying to set direction and manage the changes going on there where the guys on the front line are really fighting the fight, you know? So yeah. how does a leader overcome that fear of disapproval? Yeah, so this absolutely, it's so funny. I actually had this talk, exact talk with someone I was coaching yesterday on this. And I'll give that example that I talked with them on. But like the, it, it, does, it does boil down to trust. There, it has to be this high trust organization or there will be this level of hesitation because you don't, you're fearful of the repercussions of what's going to happen. Right. And so like this example that we had yesterday was, he was a very point blank leader that would just say, this is what's wrong and this is all that. But his lieutenants were softening the blow in the communication so far the other way mm -hmm. because they didn't want to hurt other everybody's feelings mm -hmm. that, you know, the communications wasn't getting from the CEO down to the working force. Mm -hmm. And what I told him was, you have a lack of trust and accountability with right. those lieutenants because they're so fearful of letting you down and and of your of your core message that they're softening it too much right so there's a disconnect and then this is the point that you're doing that you're talking about that if you find yourself in an organization where that's happening or where you know the subordinates are fearful of the repercussions it is again because you haven't achieved that high performing organization kind of profile of high trust high respect and the ability to lean forward without thinking you're going to get your nose slapped mm -hmm. newspaper. Well, you know, it's interesting you bring this up. I, I'm coaching, as you know, too, and I've got uh, a program that I offer that's really aimed at high potentials. So I've got a client that uh, hired me to go in and develop 10 of these folks. These are people that they've got an eye on that they believe could be C-suite executives at some point. And they're already managers and supervisors in the organization but now again i'm prepared to really be executives and it's a strong and i know this company very well i've done, done a lot of culture work it's a strong command and control mm. organization and one of the things that i'm working on already with these, this cohort of 10 people is overcoming that command and control 
thing because you're right there's a fear of repercussion and it's almost like they've got to ask for permission to do something and certainly on the battlefield you can't do that you don't have the time that's right to to run it up the chain of command you've got to be able to execute right there and then and and it's helping these guys kind of overcome that 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 is a big piece of the work that i'm doing with these guys yeah i think one of the biggest thing that's come out of the last few years of neuroscience research and just everybody's self-reflection on going through the COVID periods and all of that kind of stuff is you've got to understand that, you know, these, the human capital that you're talking about, the resources you have, they're a source, not a resource, right? They are something that is each person's a human being. They think and they act differently. And these authoritative kind of high hierarchical organizations are just not positioned to make the best success that they can with their people because they're they're just not allowing each person to kind of succeed and right. uh, that's what we got to get after yeah i mean you know you, you, you touched on something that i'm kind of coaching up these days too and it, it, you didn't say it exactly jim but i'm going to put words in your mouth again yeah. if that's okay sure sure um you have to ask who do i need to become not what do I need to do? That's right. That's right. And it's a fine distinction, but so many of the folks that I'm working with these days are kind of saying, what do I need to do? Yeah. And I, and I need them to switch that script around in their head and kind of get to know who do I need to become? hundred percent. And then the what part can get filled in. It's, it's, you know, it's putting clothes on the, on the mannequin, if you will. That's right. I, I do that every day. I say, who do I need to become? And I say, it's Jim Kerr. Thanks, my friend. We're going to have a cigar and a bourbon over that one. (laughs) Hey, look, we've run out of time. It was it was really an indispensable conversation today. Thank you so much. My pleasure. My pleasure. This is fun. It's always fun spending time with you, Jim. You're you're one of the great thinkers that are out there. And, uh, you know, I learn every single time that I that I talk with you. Well, me too, Jim. Right back at you, man. Folks, if you want to carry on the conversation on LinkedIn Live, I invite you to do that. Jim and I will comment on your comments. And again, thank you. Tune in in a week or two, and we'll do another episode. Thanks, everybody. Bye, everybody.